Can you start to feel the anticipation as we turn the calendar into December? Can you start to feel the magic as the Christmas decorations go up all over the place? Christmas for us is something that you can count on. It is something that you can set the rhythms of your life by. It's something that you can look forward to. It is something that you can anticipate or expect. That is not how the original Christmas happened. It wasn't on a calendar. You weren't necessarily knowing that it was coming. What we're looking at this type of year is the theme that Christmas still surprises. In other words, Christmas is the kind of thing that disarms you, catches you off guard. And we're going to be looking at a famous story from the New Testament in three different segments of that story. Disturbing wonder, grander vision, and curious trust. So this week we're going to be talking about the disturbing wonder nature of Christmas. And as we think about that, it's the story that is probably the most depicted in arts. Um, this is a picture of the Annunciation. It's one of the famous Annunciation images. If you were to travel to Europe and you would go to museum after museum and particularly church after church, have you ever heard the ABCs of traveling in Europe? That you get to Europe and you're like, the ABC is, wow, ABC, another beautiful church. And then by the time you get to the end of your trip, you have the ABCs, another bloody church. That you have this different rhythm of, it's after a while you can start to become desensitized to the wonder and the majesty of what God is doing. And that can happen to us. And so one of my hopes and my dreams for us is we're going to blow the dust off of this story and experience the surprise of what happened at that first Christmas. This is Luke chapter 1, starting in the 26th verse. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. When you think about what happened at that first Christmas, it was a surprise. Reminds me of a news story that I saw earlier this year of a principal in a school from the state of West Virginia. You know how when you work in certain jobs, you, you have your routines, you have your habits, you have your patterns, and that, you know, it's just too much mental energy to try to make up each day as you go along. So you have the things and the way that you like to do them. And then there are certain times in leadership, particularly when you're running a school with kids in it, that things are just going to catch you off guard. So this principal of this school was approached by one of the custodians who said, look, earlier today, before school started, I, I can't get the dumpster to open. Now, that's going to be a problem because as the school day is going to come on, they're going to accumulate trash, and they're going to need a place to be able to put that trash. And so they've got to get it open. But the custodian is like, I can't do it. Can you help? And so the principal goes and goes to help to open the dumpster. Would you like to see the security footage of what happened? Here it is.
Watch him double over right here. His heart is starting right about now. It's restarting as that's a way. Who needs caffeine when you can do that at 7.15 in the morning, right? The principal was interviewed afterwards, and he said, I think that bear was just as scared as I was, and I'm not sure that bear is ever coming back to our school. But here's a principal going about his ordinary day, getting ready to start the day, and surprise. What we see when Mary hears the announcement of the angel are these two words, that she is greatly troubled. And since none of you, as we read the passage this morning, started to feel that heart beat wildly in your chest and for you to experience that kind of surprise, let me see if we can rekindle some of the surprise of what was happening in that original Christmas. Because you see, when you go all the way to the beginning of chapter 1 of Luke's gospel, what happens there is it doesn't start with Mary, it starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth for the birth of John the Baptist. And so the angel approaches Zechariah and is like, Zechariah, you're way past your prime. You're an old geezer now, but you're going to have a child in your old age. Surprise. And then if you go after the Christmas story, you get to the, the point where, in terms of the story we looked at today, when you get to the shepherds who are minding their own business in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And then the angels approach them and, and, they, and they're told that, Hey, the new king is going to be born down the street from you. Go see him. You're the first to hear of it. Surprise. If you go to Matthew's account of the Christmas births and narratives, you get to see things like Joseph being told. Before Mary can tell him her version of the story, the angel approaches Joseph and says, Hey, you know this young woman that you're excited to begin your life with and your marriage with? She's going to have a child. It's not your child. And he's going to be the savior of the world. Surprise! (laughs) Even when you think about King Herod, Hey, there's a new king that's going to be born. Surprise. The wise men coming from afar, traveling all of that way to see the birth of this new king. Surprise. Over and over again, if there's anything you can say about the first couple of chapters of our birth stories from the Bible in Matthew and in Luke, it is one surprise after another. And so here's my point. If you're not surprised by Christmas, you're not hearing it right. And so what is it that so greatly troubled and disturbed Mary? A lot of you might push back and say, well, of course, if an angel approached me, then I would be surprised too. But did you notice and pay attention to the detail of what it said? It said in the text that she was greatly troubled, not by the confrontation with the angel, but greatly troubled by what? By his words. And so let's see if these words can still disturb you and me in a whole new way. Why should you be disturbed at Christmas? What we're going to be focusing on on three parts of this story is this. That Christmas comes to an unsuspecting person to give an unexpected grace for an unpredictable calling. So first, let's talk about how Christmas comes, the announcement of the ages, to an unsuspecting, unlikely person like Mary. Do you remember when you were back in English class and your teacher would make you do comparing and contrasting? 
and you would say, how are these stories similar and how are these stories different? Well, one of the ways to grow in your understanding of the Bible is to ask those same types of questions. When you look at Luke chapter 1, there are two miracle birth stories that are set next to one another. It's the miracle birth story of John the Baptist and the miracle birth story of Jesus. It's the miracle birth of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and it's the miracle birth of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and Mary. And so what happens when you lay these stories next to one another, I know you're not going to be able to take all of this in, but see the similarity as Luke is telling and retelling these two miracle stories. See how much overlap there is. See how much rhythm and cadence. There's very clear that Luke wants you to see connections between these two stories. And yet at the same time, these stories couldn't be more different. Notice some of the differences here between these two stories. That when the Zechariah announcement happens, Zechariah is in the holiest place in the world. He's in the Holy of Holies. He's won the priest lottery, and he's in there on the holiest day of the year when God surprises Zechariah. When when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, she's in an unknown indoor location somewhere in Nazareth. And speaking of Nazareth, I mean... The Zechariah story takes place in Jerusalem. That's a famous city. But the Mary story takes place in a town that's so remote. Did you notice it in the text? That it says it's in Nazareth, and they have to tell you where Nazareth is that's not too far away from the Sea of Galilee. Because most of the people hearing this wouldn't have known where Nazareth was. Notice that Zechariah is a very important person and a religious person. He's a priest. Whereas Mary is just a teenager. Think about this. He's a male, she's a female in that day and age. Think of it. He is old and wise and she is young. The point between comparing and contrasting these stories is that there is no way that Mary was expecting anything like this. Do we have any indication in the text that Mary was looking for God? Do we have any understanding that as she was beginning her life, that this is something that she aspired to do or that she wanted to do or that she conjured up in her mind? She wasn't looking for God. God came looking for her. When I was 19-year-old and I was an atheist, I didn't want anything to do with God. I wasn't looking for God. God came looking for me. C.S. Lewis describes the so-called idea of man's search for God as ridiculous as the mouse's search for the cat. It's just not how things work. And so the one thing that we know about that original Christmas that makes it that first dimension of a surprise is that Mary is an unlikely, unsuspecting person. And then we come to discover that Gabriel approaches Mary and gives her unexpected grace. In verse 28 of what we read today, I want to put it up in the screen for you so that you can read it. This says, Kyre kekaritomene ho kurios meta su. Everybody got that? This is the original Greek of the New Testament. And the reason that I put this up here is the way that we translate this today, which is, Greetings, you who are favored, 
the Lord is with you. And the reason I put here up in the Greek is this, is that these are the same words repeated twice. What we translate as greetings, you who are favored, is actually the word grace, grace, twice. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, grace, you who are of grace. To make sure that we don't miss the impact of the gift of what is being given to her. Back when we used to live in Southern California, I remember reading the story of a community that was just north of ours. Uh, in the city of Orange, there is a university uh, that's called Chapman University. Back in 2012, there was a young man who went through a terrible accident of falling down the stairs. And he had a spinal injury such to the degree that he became a quadriplegic. And yet he had a dream that he wanted to continue to grow as a business leader. After his accident, his mom moved from Florida over to California to help take care of him. And she wanted to be a part of him with his dream of getting an MBA. So he enrolled at the MBA program at Chapman University but he couldn't take notes. And so his mom came to class with him every day. She pushed him into the classroom and she sat in every class and she took notes for the entire two years of his degree. You can imagine the pride and the sense of accomplishment for him when he got to the point where he was graduating and because his mom had been the one with him the whole way through, she was also the one who was pushing him on that graduation day. And when she pushed him to the stage for him to receive his diploma, the announcer, with a catch in his throat, said that the board of trustees of Chapman University had decided to offer a surprise and honorary MBA, not only to Marty, but to his mom, Judy. Have you ever received a gift that was so amazing you can barely take it in? Imagine what it was like for that young man to receive the gift of his mom being there every step of the way, writing down all of those notes so that he could thrive. Imagine the gift it was for her when she wasn't even enrolled in the program to receive the gift of an MBA. All of life, my friends, is a gift from God. And in the midst of the struggles of our life, and that's what paralyzes us, that gift is always a surprise. And so the nature of Christmas and its announcement, it comes to us as unsuspecting, unlikely people with unexpected gifts of grace upon grace. And thirdly, for an unpredictable kind of calling, an unthinkable vocation. 
You know, in, in the story, it says that um, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, the Lord is with you. And, on, you know, for us, because we know the rest of the story, we're like, yes, Jesus is God, Emmanuel, he is with us, and we know that, uh, that this is what he will be called. We know that at the end of the book of Matthew, it said, remember that I am with you always, even to the end of the age, that yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that God is with us. This is one of the great golden threads of the Bible. But this phrase of being confronted from on high and saying the Lord is with you is far more pointed than we give it credit for in the Old Testament. That when God confronted Jacob through a dream and said the Lord is with you, he wasn't just assuring him, he was giving him a job to do. And that when God confronted Moses and said the Lord is with you, He wasn't just assuring Moses, he was giving him a job to do. God came to Joshua, the Lord is with you. In other words, that job was so hard, he was going to have to be strong and courageous, is the other thing that God kept telling him. The warrior Gideon, the Lord is with you. You're going to have to fight a battle that you're not going to want to have to fight. Over and over again in the Old Testament, what we read as a platitude of assurance is actually, it's the right hook of a calling. That the Lord is with you to do something. That that's why God is with us for us to be able to do it. And and this is so much more apparent to them as they were hearing this for the first time than we were. And something that was adamantly clear to God's people then is just lost on us at Christmas. So the word Mary, for whom she is named, is a Greek version of an Old Testament Hebrew word, Mary, is Miriam in the Old Testament. Miriam in the Old Testament is a word that literally translates as rebellion. Who is Miriam in the Old Testament, you recall? Miriam is the older sister of Moses and Aaron. She is the mother of the rebellion of God's people in Egypt. Cue the Star Wars music now. In other words, this girl who was named for the rebellion is told that the rebellion is going to happen through her, through her family. And so on the other side of what this means for you and me, is that that rebellion that began with an unexpected, unsuspecting teenage girl with an unexpected gift for an unprecedented kind of calling. What God was doing was starting a movement. And that movement continues today. And so what is Mary's response? Mary hears this surprising announcement And her response is that she wondered what kind of greeting that this might be. When you hear Christmas, are you filled with wonder? Or is it just another day on your calendar? And this word here is the greeting word, but it's a different greeting word than what I told you. Remember when I said it was grace upon grace? 
I love how when you read through the Bible, you see things differently. Pastor West, when he preached last week, called this out. At the end of Romans chapter 16, as we finish studying that letter, Paul goes, greet this person and greet this person and greet that person and greet this person. Like over and over again, Paul's like, greet, 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 greet. And that the word there is not grace. The word there is the word for embrace. It's the word that says, get close. Mary is filled with wonder at what this embrace of God actually means for her. I love how Oswald Chambers puts it. He says it like this. Faith is the inborn capacity to see God behind everything. The wonder that keeps you an eternal child. Wonder is the very essence of life. Beware always of losing the wonder. And the first thing that stops wonder is religious conviction. Whether you give a trite testimony The wonder is gone. The evidence of salvation is that a sense of wonder is developing. I meet plenty of people who go to church all the time, and even in the midst of their religious conviction, their wonder is shrinking as opposed to expanding. My question for you at the beginning of this holiday season is this. Are you becoming more of a cynical person? Or are you becoming a person who is more filled with wonder? What's it going to be for you? Earlier this summer, Kelly and I went on an empty nester trip, and one of the places that we stopped off on was Regensburg, Germany. It's a quaint little town in, uh, in Germany, right at kind of the head of the Danube River. Uh, it's from all the way back to 179, where one side was the Roman Empire, and the other side uh, of it was the frontiers of the barbarians. And this bridge here is one of the first stone bridges that was ever built in Europe, and it became kind of the father of all bridges after that. One of the most important things about this city is this next slide here. This is the first sausage kitchen in history. (laughs) How do you not eat at the first sausage kitchen in all of history. Really good, um, this place there. But it's a great little town where you walk through these gorgeous little charming streets. And of course, as you walk through them, what's at the center of the town is this magnificent spire of an incredible cathedral. Look at the front of the edifice of this church, the complexity and the beauty of it. This church was originally built in this location in 700, but after a couple of hundred years, that church burned down. So they started rebuilding it again in earnest in 1200 AD. It took 600 years for them to build this church. 600 years. So when you come up to me and you complain... about how long this construction is going on. I just go back to Regensburg and say, are you kidding me? A year-ish is nothing. Imagine the foresight, the anticipation, the commitment 
to build a masterpiece like that. The greatest thing in the cathedral to me is not the stained glass windows or the Gothic architecture. There's a little treasure on the inside. On the inside of it, like in most Gothic style cathedrals, are statues. And those statues, along with the stained glass windows, tell stories. And as I told you at the beginning, that one of the most depicted pieces of art in history is that moment of the Annunciation. And so here you have a picture of the angel Gabriel telling Mary that she's going to have a child. But what's different about this statue, and I don't know if you can see it, but it's the only one I know of in history where the angel Gabriel is actually smiling. Most of the times when you see this in art, a dour expression on Gabriel's face. I think that gets it right. Because Gabriel comes to that unlikely teenage girl. And God draws near to her through Gabriel. And a smile comes across Gabriel's face. And says, Mary. Surprise. Let's pray. Eleven God, will you continue to surprise us today with the announcement of the ages? And in order to do that, will you disturb us, even make us greatly troubled? When we're in the midst of all of our routines and habits, will you jump out and surprise us in a whole new way? Help us to re-encounter the Christmas story through your words, your words of promise. And that while we've never been confronted by an angel, maybe we need to realize what an unlikely person we are to receive your good news. I pray for anybody here who has come or is listening to this message is like, I'm not looking for God. Well, guess what? Neither was Mary. And so may you arrest their imagination and call them just as much as you called her. Lord, all of life is a gift, and you've given us grace upon grace, multiplication of grace. And so will you surprise us once again by the nature of your gift for us and what you have done and will do in Jesus Christ. And God, we know that you're with us. We sing it, we say it, but we don't realize that what that means is, is that we've got a job to do. And that you have pulled us into the great rebellion. The act of salvation of what began in Exodus. And the rescue of your people. And a new future and a promised land. Lord, you have a place for us. And you have us to be able to give birth to that new reality for others. And so God, we thank you for the wonder that's available to us. If we will only... Receive your embrace. Help us to not become more cynical, but to be more filled with wonder. And to see the smile on the angels' faces because of the announcement. Surprise. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said.